This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit creditintel.com for more information. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Chris Smith. Chris is the Vice President of Real Estate Development for Hand and Stone Massage and Facial Spa. Chris has been in the retail, franchising, and real estate business for over 30 years. I'm excited for him to join the show. Welcome, Chris. Great to be here. I appreciate the time and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about real estate and Hand and Stone. Terrific. Before that, though, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and who Chris is? Sure. Uh, well, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier my, my 30 years experience in franchising, uh, and that literally is the case. I started, you know, way back in high school with a Domino's Pizza franchisee. A Domino's Pizza franchisee opened his first location in the town I grew up in, in Virginia. Uh, I got a job making pizzas uh, for him even before I could drive. Uh, ended up delivering pizzas for him when I got my driver's license and continued to work for the same Domino's Pizza franchisee throughout high school and on to college. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a a baseball scholarship to Virginia Tech, uh, and I would work for the same franchisee throughout, you know, uh, breaks and holidays and summers. And when I graduated uh, from college, it was the height of desert storm and and the economy was very poor at the time. And I was interviewing at different companies and I said I was going to continue to work for that same franchisee until I found a real job. Well, fast forward uh, about 13 years later, I was still with Domino's Pizza, but I had become a Domino's Pizza franchisee of my own. Uh, And uh, when I sold my Domino's Pizza franchise, I went to go work for Domino's Pizza Corporate in Atlanta, where I was responsible for the operations team that supported all of the franchisees in the Southeast part of the country. Uh, So I went from kind of one side of the fence to the other. Uh, What brought me to the area I live in now, which is New Jersey, is a partner and I purchased a Pizza Hut franchise. It was a 18 unit uh, failing Pizza Hut franchisee where the franchisee was going into bankruptcy uh, and really neglected uh, the business. And we got it at a phenomenal price uh, and cleaned up the operations and implemented delivery, which is really what that, that business needed, uh, and had a great run there for uh, probably about four years before we sold that business. Uh, I was with Dunkin' Brands, the parent company of Dunkin' Donuts. I was responsible for the development of their locations throughout, throughout New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania, which is the Philadelphia suburbs. And I started here at Hand and Stone uh, about 11 years ago when we had about 47 locations. Uh, came on uh, to head up their, their real estate development team here. 
and uh, it was, I can say it without, without a doubt, the best decision I've ever made. This is the not only the best organization I've ever been a part of, but more importantly, the best management team uh, that, that I've ever worked with. Uh, we're now at 512 locations and growing. We've got about 80 in the pipeline uh, in one phase or another of development and, you know, live in this world every day and, and literally look forward to getting up and, and, and coming to work and, and helping franchisees kind of achieve their, their goal of, uh, of business ownership. Wow. What an incredible story. First off, where in New Jersey do you live? I actually live in, uh, in, in Burlington Township, New Jersey. Uh, our office is in, uh, uh, here in Trevos, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, and I live about 20 minutes, so just over uh, the, the bridge, so to speak, into New Jersey and, and, and Burlington Township. No, well, Route 130, I am in northern New Jersey in a town called Kinelon, so I know the area. Burlington's corporate offices are not far from there. They're, in, they're down there. Yep. Uh, second, what position in baseball? I was an outfielder. Yeah. Got it. Were you thinking about tr- going into the minor leagues and working your way up? You know, yes and no. Obviously, as a kid growing up, that was my aspiration. But, you know, as you as you grow in, in any, you know, uh, uh, sports field like that, you quickly realize there's a lot of good athletes out there. Uh, and could I have maybe kicked around in the minor leagues for a while? It's certainly possible, yes, but uh, I don't think I quite had what it what it takes to make the major leagues. Uh, uh, but I was happy to get as far as I did. I can tell you that. Wow, that's really cool. I wrestled in college at Rutgers University, so I know the college athletic experience quite well, and especially yeah. Division One like yourself. One of the things that I'm really intrigued by in your role, and I'm 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 really interested to see how much it matters in your business is. You've been a business owner and you've been a franchisee and been on that side of the table. Yeah. How impactful is that experience when you're working with your existing franchisees? Mm. I can tell you no level of experience, uh, no level of wealth, uh, you know, can compare to that. Uh, You know, and really, whether you were a very successful franchisee or you were just an average franchisee, the fact that you walked in their shoes, the fact that you signed a franchise agreement and put your money down on the table and you, you know, opened your own business, that, that level of experience, uh, you know, you just can't, you can't earn anywhere else. So you have an immediate, in my opinion, uh, level of respect from a franchisee that you're working with in this business. If again, you kind of walk in their shoes and, you know, the more they learn about me personally and the more they learn about my uh, style of support for them, I think the more they appreciate it because I honestly and, and, and we have discovery days. We actually we call them meet the team days now uh, where we have prospects come and we talk to them about the business. And I tell them that that I approach decisions that are made along the way, whether it's, you know, whether or not to submit a letter of intent, uh, the negotiations of a letter of intent or lease negotiations, I give the perspective as if I'm going to be the one signing that lease with you because I wouldn't and I couldn't uh, recommend that someone move forward uh, in a direction 
with developing a new location if I wouldn't do it myself. And I often say that the last thing I want to do is tell you we're going to support you in the way that we're going to support you uh, and be with you every step of the way and literally hold your hand through this process uh, and then see you two years later at a conference and you come up to me and say, you know what, you said you were going to do all those things and support us in a certain way and you didn't do it. You didn't deliver on that. I couldn't live with myself. Uh, and we, and, and honestly, I don't give it a second thought because I know that we do deliver on that level of support. That's really insightful. There's not a lot of people in real estate on the franchise side who have your experience. So I think you bring a unique perspective that a lot of franchise real estate people might not have. And I think it's really great. And probably I just imagine that you build connections with franchisees faster, for sure. You know, Chris, not to go off on another direction, but I often am asked, okay, well, why are you still not a franchisee somewhere uh, or, or have, or, you know, have a, have a franchise and I'll tell you exactly why. And that is because I value, I value being successful and I value money like every, money like everyone else. But what I value more is my family and, and spending time with my kids. And I know that I wouldn't have the same lifestyle uh, if I was still the owner of uh, a large franchise, for example. Uh, not to say that I won't get back into that side of the business at some point in the future. I have a, a daughter that's going off to college uh, in the fall, uh, and my son is uh, going to be a, a sophomore in high school. So that's still in the cards, but I, I appreciate uh, kind of where uh, I am and certainly the uh, the opportunity that, that being part of this 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 management team here at Hand and Stone affords me to spend that necessary time I like to with 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 my family. So terrific. So one question I have because it's so unique to every franchise organization as it relates to real estate. Some groups, the franchise real estate development team does everything, and then in some, the franchisee negotiates the lease, the LOI, they site select, they hire their own brokers. The real estate development team is a support and to move things along through the process. Then there's groups that are somewhere in the middle of that. Where is Hand in Stone's real estate team as it relates to how they work with the franchisees? Good question. Again, I'll go back to that initial meeting we have with a prospect during the meet the team day in which I present on our support of them. Uh, when they become a Hand and Stone franchisee. And, I, and I, I tell them, we're going to be your partner. We're going to be with you every step of the way. We're going to come out to your market and do a, a site tour uh, where we're with the broker and we're going to each and every one of the shopping centers. And we're going to be peppering the broker with questions about how is the grocery anchor performing? What are the asking rents? Uh, what type of tenant improvement allowance is this landlord uh, asking or, or, or providing? Uh, and ultimately, we're going to put a letter of intent together. Uh, the brokers use the letter of intent template that, that we've created, and we're going to go through it top to bottom, and we are going to provide our feedback and recommendations, meaning Hand and Stone and our brokers, uh, at the end of which uh, the franchisee makes the final decision. They have to give the green light for that to be submitted. Uh, from there forward, we're on every phone call. Uh, we're included in every email. We provide feedback and guidance throughout the process. So again, we are a partner. Ultimately, the franchisee has to be educated and they have to be comfortable in making the decision on what direction to go in. Uh, you know, 
certainly based on our approval or, or rejection of a site, for example. But you know, we're a partner along the way. We're not, you know, we're not we're not a passive franchisor. We're not going to sell them agreement a franchise agreement and say, okay, let us know when you found the location. Uh, if that was our strategy, we would not be as successful as we have been. Terrific, great insights. Now I want to get to know Chris a little bit more. I got three questions for you. You ready, Chris? Sure. We call this clear the air. Okay. Question one, what is one skill you don't possess but wish you did? I, I hate to admit it, but I wish I had the ability. To, I wish I was a better dancer. I'm not a very good dancer. I mean, <laughs> listen, my son has rhythm like you would not believe. And I don't know where he got it from, but I wish, I mean, at his age, as a as a soon-to-be 16-year-old teenager, I mean, he's got good dance moves. I don't have it. Yeah, that's a skill set I wish I had. Sure. Same. Okay. That's a good one. I don't think anyone said that before, so I like it. <laughs> Question two. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? Well, I can tell you that over the last year and a half during the pandemic, it's been challenging at best, um, you know, to keep kids entertained and, you know, uh, busy. Uh, last summer, for the first time, uh, we actually went skydiving. Wow, that is a big one. How was it? Uh, terrifying and a rush to the degree that you want to go do it again. That's how it, it's. You've heard people mention, oh, it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like you're alive. It, it literally does. I mean, your senses are at such a level that, you know, it's uh, you don't you don't find that uh, that feeling in many other places, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. Heights are like the one thing that definitely spooked me the most. And so that's a that's a tough one. I can uh, see a video of someone standing on a building and looking over and my palms will start sweating. Wow. Well, so you overcame that. Good for you, man. All right. Last question. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? You know, this came up recently. And I actually, it's funny you say that. Um, we had a graduation party for my daughter this weekend. And somebody made the comment that everything happens for a reason. I don't buy into that myself. I think that, you know, and my beliefs are that, you know, our actions determine the reasons things happen. You can plan for things and, you know, try to make things work out exactly how you, you know, envision them. Uh, and when they don't, a lot of times they actually work out for the better. And a common phrase that I use a lot is that it will all work out. It may not work out exactly how you had planned it, but it will work out. So I think one thing I don't necessarily believe that a lot of people do believe in is that things happen for a reason. Great answer. It's a great answer. All right. Thank you for indulging me on those clear the air questions. I know they're off the wall. I want to move to the next part of the show. And Let's talk about the market and hand in stone. And clearly massage was challenged during the pandemic. How did you all like navigate through and what did you learn from that? And where are you now? Mm. Yeah, it was a challenge. You know, unlike a lot of retail businesses and even restaurants to some degree, we are hands on with our customers. I mean, uh, you don't get a lot more intimate than, you know, a massage or even a skincare service. So, uh, you know, throughout the early stages of the pandemic, we had to quickly uh, assess what we needed to do to create a cell, uh, to create a safe environment, not only for uh, our service providers, meaning our, our team, but more importantly, our customers. 
Uh, so we worked with a lot of different uh, companies out there on creating the safety measures necessary um, so that when uh, we did reopen uh, and our customers came back, they felt safe uh, in that environment. Uh, and, you know, everything was stunted. You know, obviously we had to close down for a period of time and then we slowly reopened based on, uh, you know, uh, that particular state and when they were allowing us to reopen. But once we did, I can tell you that people came back in droves. Uh, think about it. They weren't able to go on their vacations or their shore house or their, you know, their, you know, uh, house in the wood, whatever. Uh, so it was a lot of people staying relatively close to where they live and they, and they wanted to get back to some level of normalcy. So they were still getting their hair done, their nails done, you know, trying to go to the gym as often as they could, getting massages, getting skincare services. And we bounced back very quickly. Uh, we are now at a level uh, pre-pandemic that is just phenomenal for us, uh, not only from a uh, you know, revenue perspective for our spas, but more importantly, we're back to selling new franchise agreements, new franchisees coming in, developing new locations. Um, interesting fact in that, you know, uh, we are not doing our national conference. Usually we do a national conference each year where we bring all of our franchisees to one central place. And this year we're doing smaller market meetings. So we did a couple in Florida, you know, we did one. Interesting. Uh, most recently in Austin, Texas, and up in New York, we're going to be in Chicago. And uh, one of the thing that came, one thing that came out of it, our research is, you know, we are the only massage business uh, that had net positive growth from a new opening perspective uh, in 2020. We opened uh, 29 locations. Uh, you know, uh, our our nearest competitor, Massage Envy, uh, I believe they 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 opened seven and closed over 30. So they had a, a negative net growth uh, for 2020. Uh, it's continuing even today uh, for our growth specifically. Uh, I, would, I would estimate that between now and the end of the year, we're gonna open somewhere between 25 and 30 new locations. Congratulations, that's terrific. That is terrific. You mentioned the franchisees in the, in the national conference you have. Franchise groups are a fascinating cohort of business to me. And one of the things I've learned along the way is that franchisees are unique. And some franchisors have these franchisees that are massive companies. They have like 200 locations. Some are very focused on a little bit more of an owner operator where maybe the franchisee has one or two. What is the hand in stone breadth of franchisee and, and, and what do you guys want the franchisee to be? 40% of our owners are multi-unit operators so they have more than one we like that model uh you know certainly they have to be qualified from an operational and a financial perspective uh but in our opinion it shows the health uh and more important to us the confidence that a franchisee an existing owner has in the brand if they're reinvesting into the company to open new locations uh that's a great indicator uh in our opinion uh, and certainly to prospects that are thinking about uh, developing a location if the existing ownership group is continuing to reinvest in open locations. Um, you know, we have some rather, we got a couple of large uh, franchisees out there. We have uh, one group here in New Jersey that owns 10 locations. Uh, we have another group uh, that is continuing to grow both organically 
Uh, and from an acquisition perspective that has, I believe, 25 locations. That's our largest franchisee. Wow. And then we have some that are between that three and five unit number. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of on a case by case basis. Uh, you know, you would love nothing more than an experienced operator, maybe in another concept to come and take down, you know, an entire market. Uh, St. Louis, for example, Missouri, I have somebody come in and open up 10 locations for us. Um, you know, what we don't want to have happen is we don't want to sell a, a 10 unit development agreement to somebody that is going to tie up those markets, um, you know, for an extended period of time. So our development schedules are pretty aggressive uh, and we we certainly stay on top of it and, and ensure that they meet that goal. And if they don't, then we start the transition of maybe, you know, releasing some of those opportunities to, to other operators that may want to come in and, and open up there. Got it. Makes sense. One of the things that makes Hand in Stone unique from other massage businesses is the membership, mm -hmm. which I think is unique because most appointment-based businesses only are able to generate revenue from it. There's a max, but when you have a membership based business, you've created a scale in a business that didn't have scale before. And so how important is the membership based business for you guys? To me, it seems like it's important and it's a way to scale massage that I think is really interesting. And you see it on the tech side, right? SaaS businesses, subscription as a service is like the biggest thing. You guys have done this physically in a sector that historically hasn't done it in massage. And yeah. can, can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. It is the lifeblood of our business. I mean, without it, you know, and, and there has to be a value there as well, right? I mean, you can't just have a membership model and collect the monthly membership fees, uh, you know, if you have a high attrition, which we don't. Our attrition level is very low, and it's because right. it's not only a perceived value, but it is a true value. I mean, when you can get the level of service uh, at a very competitive price, uh, where traditionally this type of service was, you know, over a hundred dollars, uh, and that's probably on the low end. It's probably closer to one hundred and fifty uh, if you went to some of these larger, you know, day spas and resorts to get these types of services. But when you can get this level of service, uh, you know. Uh, at a extremely competitive price in a convenient location and the types of shopping centers that we do best in, um, you know, your attrition rate, and it should, is, is, is very low. Uh, so that membership model and the fact that our owners can depend on that recurring revenue uh, and start to project out and, 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 and build out their pro forma uh, throughout the course of 12 and 24 months, um, I think, you know, I think without it, we wouldn't be where we are now. Really fascinating. Really, really, really interesting. So, um, and thank you for that insight. I think it's a really competitive advantage and I, I don't think it's easy to build on that. And, you know, on the tech side, it feels like everyone's trying to do it, but on a physical brick and mortar business, not a lot of people are accomplishing that, not just in massage. So I think it's really great. One last thing on this part of the, the show, it's a touchy subject for everybody, but I'm wondering, I haven't asked anyone in your field, so I'm wondering how it is. Everyone's talking about the unemployment and how hard it is to hire. How's it been for massage therapists? What's that world like in the hiring world? I know it's a 
tough topic for everybody right now. And everyone's working on incentives. You know, I, I had heard there was a McDonald's franchisee in Florida, Southern Florida, that it was $50 just to fill out the application. How's that been for you all? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge across the board. If you're out and about and you're, you know, uh, shopping at a retail store, if you're going to a restaurant, if you're going to a service-based business like ours, uh, you can expect maybe some interruptions because of the, wor the workforce just not being there 100% like we were pre-pandemic. We also have our challenges uh, with getting the massage therapist back in the spas. Uh, one slight advantage uh, that we may have over some of our competitors is the fact that we've done such a tremendous job on increasing the skincare side of our business, you know, uh, facial services and skin cares and so forth. And estheticians, which are those service providers, uh, seem to be more readily available, has really helped uh, keep our business moving in the right direction. Uh, when I started, I would say skincare services made up 10 to 12 percent of our annual revenue. Uh, now it's closer to, to 40, uh, 40 plus uh, percentage of our revenue. And we'd love to see that at a 50-50, um, you know, uh, mix uh, kind of across the board. And, and I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. Got it. Well, thank you for that insight. I'm hopeful that the employment starts to work itself out and businesses can start to stop being stressed by this hiring craze. But uh, we will see. Sure. The next part is the story. And you have a story about a location in Dallas, Texas, in West Village. Take us there, Chris. Yes. Uh, a unique circumstance in that we had a franchisee that, that wanted to develop a specific part of Dallas. Um, you know, they call this, you know, kind of West Village uh, part of Dallas. And it's a very upscale, high-end area and the commercial real estate in that area is you know not only expensive uh, uh but also very challenging to get into and uh we were probably rejected and I don't, i'm not even so sure if rejected is the right description uh, we submitted multiple letters of intent to a property owner in the west village uh with zero response our broker had even done deals with this particular landlord previously and still couldn't get a response. Uh, so I got on a plane, I went down, uh, we were able to get a face-to-face -face meeting uh, with one of the primary partners of this uh, uh, ownership group. Uh, and we did a 45 minute presentation on who we are, what we do, how we differentiate ourselves to our competitors we showed them our design standard, uh, standards, uh, pictures of other locations uh, and what they ultimately look like. Uh, we do a lot of research, GIS research on our core consumer, who they are, how much money they spend, uh, and really just did a full court press on why Hand and Stone uh, would be a great fit, a great tenant uh, for that property. Uh, and. You know, we weren't able to seal the deal during that meeting, but over the course of the next several weeks to a month, uh, we were able to convince them to have Hand and Stone uh, be part of their center. Uh, we got open in that in that property probably about four years ago, and it's one of uh, one of our top performing uh, spas in the entire business. Well, 
that is a, a really great story. It's excellent. And there's a lot of takeaways from that. So one, as the franchisor, that you guys would get on a plane and go meet with the landlord and help the franchisee. I think that's the, and do a presentation for a landlord for one location. That is a testament to the support that I think you were talking about earlier in, in the show. That is pretty incredible for, you know, a, a one store operator. Imagine those franchisors that maybe are thousands of locations that might've hit home. Cause that's definitely a level of commitment. That's impressive for sure. And to aspire to, to be able to help the franchisees in that matter. Yeah, so that's appreciated. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they've kind of handed that business off to, uh, to their son, uh, and his wife and they've, you know, they've continued to do a very good job there. That's a good testament to the, the company. I think, I think the second thing is when the broker couldn't get a hold of the the landlord. Is that when you stepped in and you got a hold of them? Absolutely. Yep. So the the broker would uh, copy me on the correspondence with the the landlord's representative, and you know, with maybe three or four emails that went out with no response, uh, I I called and left a voicemail for that person and let them know that I would be following up with with an email, which I did and included some information about Hand and Stone, who we are and what we do. Uh, this was early on. Uh, we didn't have a huge presence in Dallas at the time, so they didn't know us from a granite countertop business. Uh, uh, so I think that at least helped, you know, crack the door open a little bit and, uh, you know, allow us to, to set up a time and go down and, and do a face-to-face. -face. Did they ever tell you what their concerns were? Um, well, I think the first concern in that specific instance was the fact that we were, you know, we, we were we were a franchise group and, and they liked more of the local, you know, mom and pop type businesses, um, even though they wanted them to be higher end. Uh, that was probably their first concern, but they wanted a local feel. Yeah, local feel. How did you get them over that? Again, I think just through the presentation and educating them a little bit more on the fact that this was yeah, we are a we're, we're a national organization, but it's going to be a local operator that was from yeah. the area, had other businesses within the area, uh, and had more importantly uh, a strong tie, uh, you know, to the local community. Got it. And do you think, without going down there and doing this presentation, that deal happens? Of course not. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. No, we're. We're somewhere else, not as successful if uh, if we don't go down and, and, and have that meeting. I mean, it's a good story and, and one that we've told before. And more importantly, one that that franchisee has, uh, you know, told to other franchisees and, and more importantly, prospects. Yeah, for sure. I imagine at any point where you guys thinking, you know what, let's try to find another piece of real estate. Like this is this landlord doesn't want us. Then let's go somewhere well, else. Yeah. You know, good question, because we always have backups. The deals fall apart for various reasons. And, you know, this, although was our number one targeted uh, property, uh, we had, you know, number two and three lined up and in negotiations. As a matter of fact, we were probably close to finalizing an LOI and getting the lease on another property when we were able to get that meeting. Um, you know, and, and that's that's part of the coaching and counseling you provide the franchisees is not to get emotionally connected to a specific property until it's done because again for various reasons deals can fall apart 
Totally. Yeah. We've all seen that. Great story. Thank you for the lessons. I think there's a lot of takeaways that a lot of people can gain from that. So really appreciate it. The persistence and perseverance for sure. Okay. Last part of the show. I got three fun questions for you. You ready, Chris? I'm ready. All right. Question one. What's the last item over $20 you purchased in store? Last item was a crock pot. Uh, you, have you tried the Instant Pot? You know, I haven't tried one of those. You have so, to try it. Well, I told you my, my, my daughter had her graduation party for high school this weekend at our house, and we were going to cook meatballs in a crock pot and have all of that, and the crock pot wasn't working, so I had to quickly run the Target and buy a new crock pot. That's why it was that's the reason for the new crock pot. Instant Pot. You got to check it out. Unbelievable. Anyway, okay, question two. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Probably for nostalgic reasons, although based on a Netflix documentary, I know there's still one, but Blockbuster. Yes, it's no. good documentary. Good documentary. Gino's Burgers. I'm not sure if you're ever familiar with, familiar with them. That was another one growing up that my father really liked. Uh, uh, that was another one. So probably those two. I don't know that one, but what was the name again? Gino's, G-I-N-O-S, Gino's Burgers. It was, a, it was a hamburger chain. Okay, last question. Let's pretend you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you. What aisle would I find you in? I love sports. It would probably be in the sports aisle at some point, maybe looking at some golf equipment or something, or either that or the food, the food section. somewhere in the food section. I just started getting into golf and taking lessons. I played 45 holes this weekend. So, yes. A lot. It was a lot. Over in uh, Big Cedar in the Ozarks. Uh, pretty good resort. Pretty cool. My brothers and I. Anyway, Chris, this was terrific. Thank you so much for this. Uh, really appreciate it. Anything else you want to tell the audience or that we need to talk about? No, I think we pretty well covered it. Uh, I appreciate you spending the time and you know, hopefully we can do more deals in the future. You betcha. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.